So today uh, I'm going to try something a little bit different. Um, I've just done a post on my uh, Dave Cooper Counselling website which is called Consciousness and the Observer Position. And it occurred to me that uh, I could do a, a talking piece based on that by basically reading it and then commenting on it. And partly this is because not everybody likes to read. And some people, it's easier for them when they're driving and so on to just listen to something. So you get a little bit of both in this. And what this is about is really a thought that I had to do something after I saw a piece in the neurosciencenews.com. And it's basically a, a new theory in physics which claims to solve the mystery of consciousness. Well, I mean, who, who doesn't want to hear more about that? <laughs> Not everybody, I suppose, but it fascinates me anyway. So the summary here basically said, consciousness cannot simply be reduced to neural activity alone. Researchers say, uh, a novel study, study reports, the dynamics of consciousness may be understood by a newly developed conceptual and mathematical framework. I won't go into the that piece any further, but that's what inspired me to, to write a little bit. Because, uh, well, I'll get into it, what the theory says, and I think it's fascinating, uh, f whatever your world view is, and whatever you think of uh, as the way the world is, it's fascinating to, to think that uh, they seem to have proved that your brain cannot produce consciousness. So, I write, have you ever stopped to consider the idea of consciousness and what part it plays in your recovery journey? Well, if you have, you will, of course, have been using your consciousness to do that. But what is it? What is consciousness? What makes us aware that we are aware? So neuroscience now uh, is about 100 years old altogether and certainly has helped us make massive strides in our understanding. A lot of stuff that we could only do, particularly in the addiction field, we could only do it by observation. And this is where the disease model comes from. We can now do uh, evidence-based. We can literally see which part of the brain is activated at different times and through different stimuli and so on. So, one of the most fascinating discoveries, or at least a theory that's been put out there, is very recent, and it says, or it claims, that our consciousness is not created by the brain. Now, since our brain contains the matter in which consciousness resides, it had seemed obvious to most people that the brain is also the creator of this phenomenon. But new theories are emerging that include what they call relativistic understanding, reminding us that is the position that we observe from that is the key to our understanding. Now that's the basis, of course, of the observer position, and I'll be looking at that uh, in, this, in this post. But first you need to understand uh, more about the difficult position of having to use our consciousness to explore our consciousness. There's nothing else you can really explore it with, right? So that's the, uh, you know, the, the first idea. Let me explain a little bit more about what they mean by relativistic um, understanding. Uh, 
So the classic um, relativistic or relativism position, uh, I suppose the simple way of understanding it is, if you understand two people, uh, one, uh, you could consider either one of them as being the observer and either one of them as being the thing observed. But one of them is on a train platform and the other one is on a train going past the platform at, I don't know, 60 miles an hour or whatever. So the relativistic understanding is that depending on which side you view it from, you get very, very different data, very, very different positions, and yet they're both correct. So for instance, for the person on the platform, it's the person on the train that's moving uh, whilst they are standing still. For the person on the train, it's the person on the platform that's moving whilst they are standing still. Now, I guess you could say in, in traditional terms, they can't both be right, but in terms of relativism, they are both correct. So this is the idea of, um, of, the, of relativism in our understanding. But what fascinated me, of course, was the idea that we're now talking about consciousness and this observer position was mentioned. Now, the observer position is one of the most important ideas in our whole approach to recovery, which is a non-medical approach. So I was fascinated to see what they would make of this idea of the observer and how consciousness plays a massive part in the idea of observing. Let me give you a quote from this Dr. Neil Lahav, who uh, partly or co-wrote this paper in Neuroscience News. He says, this is quite a mystery since it seems that our conscious experience cannot arise from the brain and in fact cannot arise from any physical process. Now that's quite a claim and it completely opens the door to all kinds of ideas. So this new theory claims that past notions of consciousness have been wrong because they've not taken account of the observer position. Uh, this is quite a systemic idea really because going back to the when systemic ideas first uh, emerged the whole idea really was based on uh, on this uh, relativistic idea which says that yes you can be scientific and you can put your white coat on and you can get a clipboard and you can study something but everything you study is changed by you studying it and everything you study is studied from a certain position which is your position and so we have to take these things into account, which traditional science didn't do. So, the idea that consciousness is not an absolute or an illusion, which of course is um, two ideas, one scientific, one spiritual, that, you know, this idea that you're really nothing and so on. But it is in fact a relativistic phenomenon. In other words, as I said, it will be understood differently from different positions. So I suppose this is another way of saying that consciousness is the best, un is best understood by other consciousness. Now this is, I'm not being frivolous here, that is, that is an important point. Because the only way we can consider consciousness is by using our consciousness. So I, we would go straight back to Genesis there at 126 
And the idea, uh, the biblical idea, that God breathed his spirit into Adam. And that's what made him a person as opposed to, you know, like any other animal. Or in fact, uh, you, you, of course, you could see it as a natural step for us in our evolutionary journey that we evolved into this consciousness. But if we did evolve into it, one thing now seems clear from this new theory, it, it didn't evolve physically. That we didn't create this consciousness just by getting more and more sophisticated in our physical nature. So whether you understand it that way or the other way or spiritually or evolutionary, it's obvious that consciousness is the start of everything human. It makes us human. It's what makes us human. It's what makes us different. It gives us our appreciation for beauty, our love for others, and the pain and suffering that comes with addiction, among other things. So in this post, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna go any deeper into the question of consciousness itself, but rather I'm going to try to offer you a way of using your consciousness or thinking about your consciousness in order to help you make progress in your recovery journey. So remember that we recover by outgrowing our problems, not by defeating them. So I'm going to give you three or four different types of observer now, or three or four different ways of understanding the way we observe ourselves through our consciousness. It's the Bible that gives us the original statement about this observation of consciousness. We might call this the profound observer, the idea that God is watching. In Psalm 42 and verse 7, it says that deep cries out to deep. And this reminds us that our recognition of God and his creation is the greatest miracle of all. And it's the idea to me that is consistent with the idea of God breathing his spirit into Adam. And so we have a little bit of God within us. But even if you don't have any faith in religious ideas, you'll probably have a deeply felt appreciation for the mystery of your consciousness. Just the idea of how magical and mystical it is that you can be aware of things in a way that really nothing else is. Now that we know the brain cannot produce consciousness by itself, well, I suppose it's got to come from somewhere, right? And thinking about where it comes from is part of your what, what's called ontology, your worldview. Now, if we develop too wooden a religious understanding, then we'll definitely tend towards a more parental or judgmental view of a profound observer. A bit like an angry parent looking over our shoulder at everything we do leading to regrets and guilt, shame and depression. Uh, this is uh, a very traditional way of looking at this idea of observing. And it will naturally connect with our vulnerability, which will have us either acting out addictively or feeling overly responsible for others. Of course, uh, if the voices or parts lead us towards an unhealthy, uh, selfish or otherwise criminal or immoral direction, then the church teaching would deem them to be evil spirits, which would then need exercising or at the very least being prayed out of us. But this is not the only view we've been subjected to. Science all, also has a view about this stuff. And through the medical model, it's added another perspective. Just before I go on to that, let me um, make clear 
that when I say we develop too wooden a religious understanding, I'm not talking about the biblical understanding now. I'm talking more about what the church sometimes teaches of the biblical understanding. So the external observer is really a more scientific idea. And the medical model offers us a more psychological idea of this observer, seeing uh, these voices or parts as what's called introjects. Um, strong influences from our parents or caregivers that we internalise. You know, uh, in counselling years ago we would have said, uh, is this the voice of your mother or is it the voice of your overbearing father or whatever. And there's no doubt that these influences are hugely important in our development, including the idea mentioned above in the way we can blend the idea of God with our parental relationship. Now, no lesser figure than Freud was actually the first to introduce this idea, this interject idea. But the fact is that this view was challenged pretty quickly by some colleagues in his field. But taking the medical position, the parts influences are then understood as mental illnesses or problems, constructing them once again as things we need to be rid of. Ultimately, whether we demonise or pathologise these parts or voices, the same position is reached, which is that we need to be rid of them. Albeit for very different reasons, you know, the, the, the sum total is the same. They're, they're, they're bad or evil things that need to be got rid of. And the main effect of these influences, which have been around for several hundred years now, is to prevent people from creating a good starting point in their recovery journey. At least, that's what I would say. So much of your behaviour, attitude and thinking will make sense to you once you understand that the multifaceted self, in other words, you plus these voices of influence, these parts, is the normal and healthy human condition. This is the great thing that neuroscience is adding to our understanding that if you have these voices, these attitudes, these parts, uh, they are perfectly normal. We now have the embarrassing observer, as we might call it. So the church and science have culturally soaked us in these ideas for hundreds of years. And as a result, most of us would hesitate to admit, we'd be embarrassed about having to admit that we have anything like an inner voice or a part that was not us or did not agree with us. But have you ever said to yourself, oh, I don't know what came over me? Or, I'm in two minds about that. Now, what about when you talk to yourself? Who's talking to who here? The truth is that our brain sometimes takes over and not always in a way we appreciate. Have you ever had to say sorry after, oh, I just saw red? Yeah, I thought so. In order to make real progress in your recovery journey, you need to see these occasions as just one of many ways that your brain attempts to protect you. It takes over when danger is perceived. So even though medical and religious approaches attempt to reduce you to one thing, Neuroscience has now shown us that the idea of the human condition as more complex and, in effect, multifaceted. Well, this, this may be a new idea to you now. This may be the first time you've heard this. But I want you to try to digest this idea that 
uh, that this is normal. And I'm going to go on now for a few minutes and try to inspire you to, to understand that you can actually work with this and it, and it can be a really effective aid on your recovery journey. Let me ask you this. How many times have you been driving on the motorway and your brain has seen some sign of danger that you have not? Taking action sometimes, literally taking over your body, which is designed to save you from that danger. That's a good thing, right? Your brain is watching at all times and is always concerned for your safety. So when it perceives you to be threatened, it shuts you down, takes over and tries to help you. Now, this does not happen because you're somehow broken, mentally ill or possessed. It happens because your brain is working fantastically well. I can't possibly overstate that point because when we come at things from the medical model or in any sort of traditional way, we always start from the same point. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? I'm broken. I need fixing. I've got some kind of condition. I've got an illness. But what if this stuff was happening because your brain was working really well? So, a big step in your understanding comes when you get the idea that your brain is always trying to help you, right? It's not trying to screw up your life or damage you in any way. It's just trying to help. Now, one more point. If this threat came from when you were very young, then there are two things you need to know, okay? So, firstly, you will not necessarily recognize the threat, right? You won't necessarily recognize the threat. Why not? Because often this threat comes from when you were young and so you won't, as an adult, you won't feel threatened, you know? It's difficult to recognize, but what is threatening to a four-year-old or a six-year-old? I mean, remembering, uh, of course, that your brain knows everything from your past. It's registered everything. So the first thing to understand is that you won't always recognize the threat, even though your brain does. Secondly, the idea that your brain reconstructs your state at that time when you were originally threatened. So uh, often it sends us into a pre-training that, you know, ways that we've trained your brain is our solution or uh, a more childlike view of the world. So you might notice your thinking starts to go very childish or you might get childish in the way you talk. All of this stuff is part of what we call a triggered state. So consciousness now needs to be maybe defined a little bit uh, as you start to explore this idea that maybe you can approach your recovery from a non-medical position. So the best working definition of consciousness is to think of it not as yourself, but as the medium or filter through which you experience yourself or selves. So remember that when your brain takes over, you still experience this through your consciousness. This is what leads many to mistake one of their parts for their true self. 
It's because, you know, they just, you know, they experience this part so often. They're what we call soft triggered. So often you can be soft triggered for hours or days. And of course, if you, if you do this very, very often, you'll tend to think, well, that's just me. And you hear a lot of people say this kind of thing. You, you, you'll hear people say, oh, you know what I'm like. And, oh, it's just me. Or, you know, oh, I can't change now. I've always been like this. You know, you'll hear that kind of talk. But often, maybe even all the time, that kind of talk comes from a many, many years or decades of training based on soft triggering. And you may be much, you know, spending much more time in a soft triggered state than you first think. It's not always a hard triggering where, you know, you, you get very frightened or very angry or very sad or, you know, it's very obvious to you that you're not in your core state, as it were. Soft triggering is much more gentle and is much more attitudinal. So let me offer you one of the most common reasons for this so you can get a picture of how this might be affecting you. And this is work. You know, most of us or a lot of us spend <laughs> most of our time at work. Now, at work we play a role. You know, it's a performance. Even if you're not, you, you know, that performance isn't very well delineated, you're still doing it. You're still performing at work. I'll give you a basic example. The, re the receptionist at the hotel, they don't always feel like smiling, obviously, but they always do because that's part of their role. That's part of their performance, right? So if you've been doing any sort of role at work for years, you may be performing it from a soft triggered state, especially if you feel more skilled or effective from that position. You know, it might help you to play that part at work. There are other um, examples of this, but work tends to be the best one because where we spend most of our time. So ask yourself this, when I am at work, do I feel calm inside? Not just look calm, but do I feel calm? Am I feeling confident inside? Or am I just acting confident? Am I really connected with everybody? Or am I just available to people? You know, this will help you understand your state because in your core state, you will always be calm, clear, creative, curious, courageous, confident, connected and compassionate not just acting those things. You remember that parts can imitate these things. Uh, in, in your role at work, your, your part could easily imitate confidence, for instance, but you won't feel confident. So, let's talk a little bit more now about the observer position as we understand it in our recovery journey. So how should we really understand and use this idea of the observer position in relation to our consciousness? The first thing, as I said above, is to understand that your multifaceted nature is normal and not as a result of anything abnormal. So the second thing to realise is that your consciousness has two functions. Firstly, it's the filter through which all meaning is made. This includes how you hear your parts, understand their feelings and their protective nature. 
Secondly, it's the potential to be yourself. It can be truly you, the authentic you, including all your natural resources that I've just mentioned of calmness, clarity, creativity, curiosity, confidence, courage, connectedness and compassion. So the way to use this more accurate understanding of the human condition is to raise awareness of your state. Now that's the first thing to do and it's a brave thing to do. Why? Because it can often be uncomfortable to, to recognise what you're really feeling or what you're really thinking. I mean, why do you think you've avoided it with drugs or alcohol or acting out or gambling for all these years? You're basically avoiding how you feel. So raising awareness of your state is a brave thing to do. And you don't want to just do it on its own. That's just painful, right? But the next step is to acknowledge that the part of you that's doing the observing is calm. You see, to, for you to raise awareness of your state, you've got to observe it. And who is it that's doing the observing? When you're panicky and you observe yourself being panicky, notice that the bit that's doing the observing is calm. It's calmly observing panic. And this is the key to the observer position. This can be quite a revelation. Even though your state might be confused, your observer is clear. Even though your state is frightened, your observer is courageous. And once you recognise this, once you get into this, then you will realise that you are talking about your true or real self. You're talking about the observer, which includes all the resources you have to manage yourself. You already have these resources. You don't need to achieve them. You just need to access them. So try working with your parts from this position, this observer position, speaking to them as someone who's willing and able to manage the situation. It feels a bit weird at first to talk to yourself in this way, but sometimes if you think back to an occasion or you recognize that a part of you is a certain age and you think, oh, well, I know what happened then or I know what, you know, what my life was like in those days. I, I often uh, advise people and encourage them to get a photograph of themselves at the age they think the part is so that they can properly separate themselves from the part and see themselves as different. There are other things which uh, there's links to in the post about how to re-trigger the adult if sometimes the part is a bit overwhelming. But with practice, you will develop better relationships with your parts and they will start to trust you to handle situations in which in the past they always took over. And when they trust you, guess what? You will enter that situation as an adult and you will, enter, and you will manage that situation so easily. It won't be difficult. It won't be anything like it used to be. You will know when your adult has stepped into the ring because you will do it calmly and confidently with an open mind, but you'll do it courageously and you'll be fully connected and you'll be compassionate to whatever situation you find. And this will come naturally. So as I say, there are links on the post itself to more reading uh, on this subject. 
because uh, there's a lot into it. If this is the first thing you've heard on it, it may confuse you slightly. So I do encourage you to listen to some of the earlier stuff, which will get you back up to this point. But thanks for listening to this, and I hope you got something from it. So until next time, bye for now.